What is up, Solo Cups? Or should I say teacups? Because today on the Messed Up Origins podcast, we're revisiting one of Disney's most iconic adaptations, Alice in Wonderland. It's been quite a while since we last talked about this story. My original miniseries exploring the messed up origins of Alice in Wonderland was posted on YouTube all the way back in 2018. That's an entire lifetime ago, if we're measuring in hamster lifetimes. So I'm truly excited to revisit Lewis Carroll's classic and overanalyze one of his most iconic characters, the Mad Hatter. Even if you're not very familiar with Alice in Wonderland, or even a fan of it, you definitely have heard of the Mad Hatter. He's one of the three particularly insane hosts of the tea party Alice attends on her adventure, and he's had a variety of portrayals since his creation in the 1860s. Not only does he make an appearance in the book, play, and film versions of Alice, but he's also referenced in other works, like the Shrek musical and Futurama. I thought it would be fun if today we did a review of his complete story across the two books both Alice's Adventures in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass, just so everyone watching is on the same page with how mad this Hatter really is. And then we're gonna look into Lewis Carroll's real life inspiration for the character, and in the process, maybe get some answers about the cause of his madness. Full disclosure, this rabbit hole goes even deeper than the one Alice went down and may just change the way that you see this character forever. So prepare yourself for the messed up origins of the Mad Hatter. Chapter one. The Mad Hatter's Complete Story. If you've forgotten some of the more iconic Mad Hatter moments, worry not, because in this section I'll be doing a synopsis of his story and unpacking some of his most famous quotes so we can actually understand what they mean. The first thing you've got to know about the Mad Hatter is that despite everyone knowing him by that name and it being his official title in literally every movie he's featured in, interestingly enough, Lewis Carroll never actually called him that. He does describe him as mad, but in the first book he's solely referred to as the Hatter, and in the second he's called Hatta. Another interesting fact is that the entire Tea Party chapter, where he and the March Hare are both introduced and best known from, wasn't in the first rendition of the story, Alice's Adventures Underground, and neither was the Cheshire Cat. For those who don't know, Alice's Adventures Underground was the title of the handwritten manuscript that Lewis Carroll had written for his friend Alice Little in 1864. It was about half as long as the final edition of the book, which was published over a year later, and was clearly missing some of the best parts. Now, in Chapter 7, A Mad Tea Party Begins, Alice approaches the Hatter and Hare having tea, with a Dormouse sleeping in between them. They're sitting at a rather large table, but there's a multi of empty seats, so Alice sits down and things get chaotic pretty much immediately. The first thing the Hatter says to Alice is that her hair wants a cutting, which was a pretty unusual thing to say to a little girl during the Victorian era. And then he asks her his now famous riddle that he doesn't even know the answer to. Why is a raven like a writing desk? <laughs> Now, Lewis Carroll himself said that originally the riddle had no answer, but after an overwhelming demand from his readers, he came up with one. Because it can produce a few notes, though they are very flat, and it's never put with the wrong end in front. Note that never is spelled like the word raven backwards, so ironically, it was put with the wrong end in front in that instance. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of that answer, so fortunately, a few others have been suggested as well. Because they both stand on their legs, they ought to be made to shut up, Edgar Allan Poe wrote on both, and they both produce notes, but neither are musical. What ensues is more chaotic conversation where the Hatter explains why saying what you mean is not the same as meaning what you say and where we learn why he thinks it's always tea time. Apparently, long before Alice visited Wonderland, the Hatter was singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Bat for the Queen of Hearts, a song that's actually sung by the mouse in the movie. While he was singing, the Queen said he was murdering the time, which clearly meant he was offbeat, 
but the Hatter of course took it literally and now he thinks that time is mad at him and won't change from 6 o'clock. Tea time. Eventually, Alice gets irritated with the Hare and Hatter shenanigans, so she leaves, but we see them again at the Knave of Hearts' trial in Chapter 10. The Hatter is called up as a witness, but he's not a very good one, so the King tells him to leave the courtroom, and he sprints out of there like his life depends on it. And it actually kind of did, because the Queen ordered her guards to execute him as soon as he was outside, but he was too quick for them and got away. His story then continues in Chapter 5 of Through the Looking Glass, where we learn he's been arrested for a crime he didn't commit. Yet. According to the White Queen, who appears to be about as logical as the Queen of Hearts, he's being punished at the moment, his trial will be next week, and his crime will happen sometime after that. You might be thinking that doesn't make any sense, and that'd be because it doesn't, but in the land behind the mirror, everything seems to happen in reverse order. Apparently, time also moves differently there, because the Hatter has been freed only two chapters later, and we see him working as a messenger to the White King alongside the Hare. Only curiously, they go by different names in this story. Hatta, spelled H-A-T-T-A, and Hare spelled H-I-G-H-A. Don't ask me why he changed their names for this one, because nobody knows for sure. Anyway, all he does in this chapter is update the king on the status of the fight between the lion and the unicorn, and that's literally it. That's the end of his story. So now that you've been reacquainted with the Hatter and know all about his life from beginning to end, I say tea time is over, and now we should take a look at the real-life inspiration for him and the underlying cause of his madness. Chapter 2. The Madness of Hatters when it comes to the residents of Wonderland, the Hatter is not necessarily more insane than anyone else. But one thing that makes him different than the other residents is we have a potential explanation for his insanity. For those who don't know, there's a reason that the Hatter and March Hare are partners in crime. And that's because around the time that Alice's Adventures was written, the sayings mad as a Hatter and mad as a March Hare were commonly heard around England. The phrase mad as a March Hare refers to the hyper-aggressiveness of male hares during mating season, which at the time many believed was only in the month of March, as opposed to the reality, which is eight months out of the year. Those poor lady hares. As for Matt as a Hatter, well, that requires a bit more explanation. Back in the Victorian era, workers in the textile industry were extremely susceptible to developing illnesses that affected the nervous system. In part, this was due to both starvation and being overworked, but it was also because of their being exposed to dangerous chemicals like mercury, which was used in hat manufacturing back then. Now I'm gonna list the symptoms of mercury poisoning, you know, just for fun, and you tell me if they sound familiar. Nervousness or anxiety, irritability or mood changes, memory problems, physical tremors, impaired motor skills, and slurred speech. Mustard, yes, but mustard. So let's be silly. So yeah, I'm pretty sure the Hatter had mercury poisoning. Now admittedly, there are some symptoms that don't line up with his behavior, like excessive shyness and depression, so there's some people who dispute the claim, but I would imagine that every single symptom isn't going to be present in every single person who's got it. Regardless, even if the Hatter himself didn't have an illness, his behavior was almost definitely modeled off of people who did. You see, hat manufacturing just so happened to be the main trade in the city of Stockport where Carol grew up, so he had plenty of personal experience with Hatters, many of whom had mercury poisoning and exhibited symptoms of it. The trippiest thing about that though, many of the Hatters who were too far gone were sent to pauper lunatic asylum and they were supervised by lunacy commissioners, which is a pretty awesome job title, might I add. One of these commissioners was actually Carol's uncle, Robert Wilfred Skeffington Lutwidge, and the relationship may have given Carol some insight on the behavior of the man. It's also worth mentioning that Carol himself checked into at least one asylum in his lifetime, Surrey County Asylum, where for leisure, patients were allowed to put on plays and, get this, 
throw tea parties. When you take all of this information into consideration, I think it's safe to say that whether or not Lewis had mercury poisoning specifically in mind when creating the Hatter, he did have his experiences with the afflicted to refer back to, and this no doubt influenced the way the Hatter turned out. There is one other possible source of inspiration for the character though, and that's a man named Theophilus Carter, who was also a bit mad. He was an eccentric furniture dealer near Oxford where Lewis attended school. Many people in the area called Theophilus the Mad Hatter because he often wore a big tie hat and was considered a bit mad because of his eccentric personality and wacky inventions. For example, he invented an alarm clock bed that woke up the sleeper by tossing them on the floor. Because as everyone knows, the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup, but breaking your neck and getting concussed. Some believe that this famous invention of his, which to no surprise was not popular, may account for the Hatter's obsession with time in the story because remember, they had some beef. When it comes down to it, it's impossible to say for sure where this strange character came from, but those are what I and many Carol fans have found to be the most likely theories. That being said, I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter and any other theories you may have heard. So make sure you hit me up on social media under the handles at John Solo or at Messed Up Origins. Thank you all for tuning in to the Messed Up Origins podcast. We're posting episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So don't forget to sacrifice the five-star and follow buttons to the algorithm gods to make sure they bless your feed with more mythological and folklore content. And to those who are craving more Messed Up Origins, feel free to check out other episodes of the podcast or look up my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork. Until next time, Solo fam, my name is John Solo, and don't forget, John shot first.